Well, Jesus loves you, Berean Christian Fellowship. If you would, please turn to Mark chapter 15 with me this morning. In these last few weeks, we have seen the final teachings of Jesus to his disciples before he offered himself up. We have seen the betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ by his disciple and apostle Judas. We have seen Jesus deserted by all of his friends in the garden. We have seen Peter's denial of Jesus before a servant girl and those in the high priest's court. And then we've watched the kangaroo court trial at the house of the high priest. And a remarkable amount of the gospel, of each of the four gospels, are devoted to the final week of the Lord Jesus' life and his resurrection. If you compare it, it's at least a quarter of most of the Gospels. Some people have called the Gospels passion narratives with an introduction. So much is devoted to this time. And we're going to be pressing farther into some very hard chapters. Uh, I guess just a chapter here or so. But hard sections, sometimes painful to read. Uh, we're going to be considering now the trial of Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Let's pick up in Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 1. We'll go down through verse 15 today. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And many of the rebels, in, uh, among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. And the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, our sin is such that we would be justly condemned forever, away from your presence. But you have come to be the Lamb of God. You have come to give yourself for us. And we say thank you this morning. What a joy, Lord, that we have had the opportunity to gather together with these brothers and sisters here who delight in what you have done. So many people join the crowds and join those who scoffed at you and scorned you. Today there are many who do that. But what a privilege to be with your people, with the people who delight in you. Help us, I pray. Help me as I preach your word to be faithful to your word. Help us, Lord. Give us your joy, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this text, we'll see that the royal and righteous Son of God is unjustly judged. We will consider the Christ on trial, and then we'll look a little bit at the others involved. We'll see first the Christ on trial here. In our passage as it opens up, we see the, the Jewish leaders handing Jesus over to the Gentile court of law. And this alone is astounding. The long-awaited Messiah, the one who has been prophesied about and promised for generations, for centuries, he finally comes, and the Jewish leaders take him, bound. They hand him over to the court of the Gentiles. This is a travesty. Imagine if the people of Jerusalem had taken King David and bound him and given him over to the Philistines. This is far worse. The Messiah has come and he has been rejected. Yet in truth, he is the fulfillment of Isaiah 11.1. He is the shoot from the stump of Jesse. He is the son of David who has risen to come and deliver his people. He is the one who for eternity will rule and reign. Every single human being born will pass before his judgment seat. And yet here, he stands trial. He's rejected by his own people. John 1.11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. They not only don't receive him, they bring him now bound before Pilate. And it says here, they come with charges, Mark doesn't specify exactly what those charges are, but if we jump over to Luke, I'm not going to ask you to do that. I'll just compare it here. Luke 23, verse 2, uh, talks about how they, they come and they say that Jesus is claiming to be the Christ, and that means that he's claiming to be a king. And because of that, he needs to die. When the chief priest asked Jesus at the trial... Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said yes. 
They had everything they needed at that moment. Before Jewish law, to claim to be God would be blasphemy, if it weren't true. No, for Jesus it was true. But in their eyes, he committed blasphemy. In Jewish law, he was worthy of death. To claim to be the Christ, a king, well, before the Roman law, that would be a problem. Rome didn't tolerate upstart kings. They bring him before Pilate, and Pilate inquires of Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus' response might seem a little enigmatic. He says, you say that I am. You say that I am. And in that, Jesus is not denying it. But neither is he coming out and saying, yes, I am a king like what they're suggesting. He's not making Pilate's job easy for him. Pilate is going to have to judge the man standing before him as he sees him. Pilate goes on and inquires more, and he asks him if he's going to deny the charges, all these charges brought. Is he going to deny them? And at that point, Jesus says nothing. Now in John's Gospel, John fills out some of the details. Jesus does say some more with Pilate. But even there, Jesus isn't responding to the criticisms and the accusations of the chief priest. He's not uh, trying to free himself from the situation. And in Jesus' response here, many have pointed to the prophecy made long ago in Isaiah 53, verse 7. There, Isaiah, by the Spirit, seeing ahead of time the Messiah, says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Here we see the meekness of Jesus on display. In truth, he is the king. He is the Messiah. He is the heir of all things. And he sits here silently. There's incredible irony here that the judge of all things is being judged. We also see the meekness of Jesus here and that he could have answered. He could have stopped this process at any moment he wanted. He mentioned at his arrest that if he wanted to, he could call down ten legions of angels. One angel would have been sufficient, but he could have called down as many as he desired as the Son of God. If he could stop the raging of the storm on the Sea of Galilee... He could have also commanded the earth to open its mouth and swallow up all those against him. Jesus could have stopped all of this at any moment. Yet in his meekness, he walked the road before him. He submitted himself to God's plan. And Pilate, who's been doing his job as a while, and Pilate was quite ruthless as we see outside of the Bible's uh, historical sketch, uh, Pilate, with Jesus before him, is amazed I'm sure he is used to seeing people plead for their lives, scramble and scratch and clamor to do anything they can, especially to avoid what is ahead of Jesus. He doesn't say anything. 
One of the things that stands out in this text, and it stands out in the other Gospels as well, is the innocence of Jesus. Jesus stands before Pilate, innocent. And Pilate knows it. Deep down, Pilate knows that none of these accusations are right. That the man standing before him is innocent. It's, as Pilate reasons with the crowd when they're calling him to be crucified, he says, what has he done wrong? And they don't spell out anything worthy of death. They have nothing. Instead, they just cry out all the more. They want blood. The leaders, we see as well in verse 10, Pilate knows that they've handed Jesus over because of envy. They don't actually have something legitimate against Jesus. They have envied him. Jesus is innocent. And is that before us then, uh, as Mark continues to tell this account, we see in verse 7 that uh, we're, we're told of a, a man named Barabbas. He's in prison. He was guilty in one of the insurrections that took place. He was guilty of murder. Uh, Mark mentions in verse 6 that Every Passover, it was Pilate's custom to release to them a prisoner. And in verse 8, they ask for their prisoner to be released. And Pilate, in response to that, sees an opportunity, potentially, for Jesus to be released here. So he says, well, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Now, I have to imagine that the religious leaders had their blood run cold at this moment. They had been plotting and planning They've been working all of this out, and now they're on the cusp of this judgment, and he might be released. He might slip away. No, they're not going to have any of that. They, they go in the crowd, and they begin to incite people. No, release Barabbas. Have Barabbas released. Now, what did they say? I don't know. Uh, perhaps they pointed to Barabbas as a man who could get things done. There was a man out of... Words, but of actions. I, I don't know how they got the crowd to cry out for Barabbas to be released, but they succeeded. Pilate asks them, well, what should be done then with the king of the Jews? And the crowd is determined. They call out that he would be crucified. Pilate asks, why? What's he done? Uh, and again, they don't have an answer. They just cry out again, crucify him. This is just a strange moment here uh, on many levels. A real insurrectionist is released. And one who is not a rebel against Rome is condemned. What a strange thing. Beyond that, uh, this whole scenario is almost too hard to imagine. I mean, how can this happen? How can... Uh, the crowd get to this point where they are calling for Jesus to be crucified. And we'll consider this more later, but before they were praising him, now they're calling for his death. How can that be? Robert Plummer, former professor of mine, uh, suggests that in this moment and through his ministry, uh, Jesus has been revealing the nature of God. He has been 
showing to the world uh, the Son of God Himself. He's been revealing God's love and His holiness, His beauty, His Trinitarian nature. He's been revealing God to the world around Him. And people can't stand it. Something deep down in people cannot stand the Lord Jesus Christ before them. This is a reality. Sin is allergic to holiness. When the holy God confronts us, we will either be broken like Isaiah, or we will want to rise up and snuff out the light that you were sharing about in the scripture time. God is light. We will either run from it, we will be against it, or by God's mercy we will receive it. And the people can't handle it. They cry out to have him crucified. Here we see the perfect Son of God condemned to crucifixion in agonizing torture. We'll consider that more next week. Let's see the first step of it here, that Jesus is scourged. Uh, it's uh, To be scourged is a beating so severe that many people didn't survive even that aspect of it. And he's taken off to be crucified. Again, we'll look more at that next week. Just want to consider here the fact uh, that in this moment, we do see the righteous and royal Son of God judged unjustly. He is innocent. Uh, The king is betrayed. The innocent one is condemned. And here the beloved Son of God is hated. This is tragic, yes, but it's no accident. It isn't some big, uh, disastrous accident where God is caught off guard. Uh, It is in this very thing that we see God's plan of salvation at work. This is the Lord Jesus Christ purposefully walking through this for our sake. Uh, And in this... As hard as it is, we do see the love of God on display. God loved us to this extent. I tell you what, there are people, I'm sure everybody has people in their lives that get on their annoying side. Uh, They might annoy them a bit. There might be challenges. It's hard to do good things to people who drive us up the wall. It's amazing when we compare what our offense is to a holy God, that this is what he did for us. What an incredible kindness. We did not deserve it. We could never even ask for it, to be honest. And yet, God has taken it upon himself to do that for our sake. If you struggle with the love of God, if he loves you or not, I encourage you to consider this. He has done this for you. We see as well here, not just the love of God on display, but his greatness on display. Throughout the Psalms, we see the psalmist praising God for his mighty works, his acts of deliverance, uh, his miraculous ways of delivering David or others. Uh, We see here the greatness of God. He is great and greatly to be praised. He is able to do what nobody else can do. None of us have the strength to save ourselves. 
None of us have the holiness to save ourselves. None of us has what it takes to get ourselves before God and to be vindicated in the judgment. God has done that. He is able to do that. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has done that for us. I want to take some time still as we're working through this text. As we've seen what the Lord has done. That's the main point here. That's our main focus that we want to see here. I want to also consider, though, some other aspects of it. There are others involved, and I've mentioned all of them already, but I think that we can learn things as we give a little attention to them. First, we have Pontius Pilate. And in this account, in Mark 15, 1 to 15, you see that Pilate perverts justice. He knows that Jesus is innocent. There's a real sense in which he wants to release Jesus. But there's something that he wants more. He wants to be a good governor. He wants to satisfy the people in front of him. It says here in verse 15 that he releases Barabbas in order to satisfy the crowd. He's wishing to satisfy the crowd. It's shocking. He does... What he knows is wrong because he wants the crowd to be pleased with him. He perverts justice. As we look at this account, we see that justice wasn't given to the master. And we need to be sober and realize that justice may not always be given to his followers either. Just think of an example today around the world, many Muslim nations, think of Indonesia have laws on the book against proselytizing. If you are one of the major five major religions, and really Islam is by and large the, much the largest, uh, if you're one of the five major and you try to convert somebody from one of the other camps, you can go to jail. Well, at least if you're a Christian. Now, if you're a Muslim trying to convert somebody, you're probably going to be okay. Now, that's an injustice. Uh, Christians... It's just one example. There are all sorts of examples. Uh, we may as well find injustice in our own life, and that on account of being followers of Christ. I think there are at least three things in this text, uh, and I want to look at 1 Peter 2 a little bit, that can help us. Uh, first of all, we have a sympathetic high priest. Jesus knows intimately the pain of injustice. He experienced it here. Uh, and the writers of the New Testament, his apostles reflected on this account. I want to look at 1 Peter 2. You can turn there if you like, or you can just listen to the verses here. In 1 Peter 2, 21 down to 23, uh, we'll see as well that Jesus has set us an example. 1 Peter 2, 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Amazingly, as Jesus is going through this process, he's not hurling insults back 
on the Jews or on Pilate or on the crowds. And next week we're going to see some more of the insults hurled on to Christ. He doesn't return it in kind. Rather, he submits himself to the suffering. I think that what we can learn from that is that even as our character is slandered, we don't have to return in kind. We don't have to obviously agree with that which is a lie, uh, but we, we don't have to uh, return to the evil that is cast on us. Uh, another thing we see in 1 Peter 2, and uh, we can learn as well from the example of Jesus in Mark 15, is that Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The reality is we may not find justice in this life and in this world. But we can entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. Uh, We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. He will judge everything justly. Uh, Even when justice is served, the reality is it can only be served so much. Uh, When somebody is murdered, a judge can't bring somebody back to life. There's not a restitution in that sense. Justice may be served adequately and and a right punishment for that crime. Uh, God one day will judge everything completely and perfectly. One caveat I want to make on this as we consider this, some have wondered, can Christians ever respond to any accusations? Jesus was silent here. Should we ever respond when somebody accuses us? Uh, And I think the answer to that is yes. Jesus does fulfill prophecy. He doesn't respond to the accusations themselves here. Uh, but if we look at the, the, at the book of Acts, as we considered that last year, we see the apostles going before magistrates. And they do, we see it especially in the Apostle Paul, make the Greek word apologia. They make a defense. They do make a defense for themselves. They do say this accusation is wrong and that accusation is wrong. They use those opportunities, though, to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in Paul. Yes, he does defend himself, but he uses those times to point to Christ. So I do think uh, if we are persecuted for Christ, we can make a defense. Uh, But even in that, we do want to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen Pilate and his injustice here. We can also see the council. Uh, The council here is the Sanhedrin. It's the religious body, the leaders of Israel, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, there's elders there, the religious leaders of Israel. If we were to give them a category from the Old Testament, I think the right category would be shepherd. They were to be shepherds of the people of Israel. They were, their role was to lead the people to see God and to love him. Uh, they were nothing but stewards. <laughs> they were there for a time to lead the people. But they did not find contentment in being uh, stewards. Instead, they demanded to be owners. They wanted what was delegated to them for a season to be theirs to keep. Certainly, that is the point of the parable that Jesus gives in Mark chapter 12. The, the wicked tenants who are over the vineyard and they, they cast out the sun. Uh, Pilate was right in his assessment. In verse 10 of Mark 15, he says... He knows that they envied Jesus. Uh, and that is, that's their motivation. It's striking. Like Cain, they envied their brother 
and slew him. Uh, Moses said in Deuteronomy 18 that the Lord was going to raise up a prophet like him from the midst of his brothers and that he would uh, be a prophet in Moses' place. Well, Jesus was the fulfillment of that. The prophet came and they didn't want him. You think of Joseph's brothers. Uh, Joseph has the dream. He's going to be a leader over his brothers. And they can't stand it. They want to get rid of that dreamer. So they cast him out. Uh, They almost killed him. I think we can reflect on envy at this point even. We can consider envy itself here. Uh, The reality is envy is a sin that is close to every single human heart. We are all tempted to envy at one point or another. Sometimes, like in our text here and elsewhere in scriptures, we see that envy leads to somebody killing somebody else. Much more often, envy leads to the death of relationships. Uh, Perhaps envy is not a sin that you think has ever touched your heart or had anything to do with you. Uh, If so, I would invite you to, to ask the Lord to make that clear, to show you if there are ways that envy lurks in your heart, Uh, to even expose that for you, and then plead with God to free you from it. Uh, We see that the religious leaders here were driven by envy. They wanted what the heir had. And not being given that, they killed him. The last group of people I want to look at is the crowd here. Uh, I mentioned it already, but what a rapid change that we see from from Palm Sunday to Good Friday. Uh, The people of Jerusalem are praising Jesus at one moment. They're calling for his death at another. Now, perhaps there was different people. Uh, There's a lot of people in Jerusalem. Maybe some of the people praising him aren't the exact same people who are calling for his crucifixion. That's possible. But I tell you what, even if that is the case, something has changed in in Jesus' popularity at this point because just a couple days earlier, the religious leaders would not apprehend Jesus. Mark 14, 1 tells us this, 1 1 and 2. Uh, They wouldn't arrest Jesus publicly because they knew that if they did, it would incite a riot. And why was that? Because they feared the people. Uh, Mark tells us that. So Jesus is so popular that the religious leaders don't dare to lay a hand on him in public. And yet, now they're calling for his death. And it's, again, it's just it's shocking. How does, how does that happen? I think one lesson that we can take from this is that the approval of society is fickle. Don't count on it. Don't live on the approval of your peers. I mean, just think about the issue of biblical morality related to sexuality in our society. 50, 70 years ago, If you were living in line with the Bible and supporting the Bible's teachings, I think you would have been honored for that. If you were to go against it, uh, it might be hard to hold public office. It's a very different situation today, isn't it? Uh, Holding to a biblical definition of humanity and sexuality can get you in trouble in some quarters today. If you want to be faithful to Christ in your life, Be okay with being scorned for Christ. The crowds are unpredictable. 
Public opinion shifts here and there. We don't want to build our houses on that sand. We don't want to find our value in the smiles and the approval of people around us. Because it can shift and it can change. We might be in favor one day and that's good. It's not bad to be liked. But don't base your value on that because it can change. You see here the, the crowds turn against Jesus in such a short time. And that becomes the, the final piece that then comes before the verdict for Jesus to be crucified. This next week we're going to pick up in verse 16 and, and following. And we're going to consider the shame that the Lord endures here. Uh, and we'll see his glory as well. Let's go to prayer together.